Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our Sunday School time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And we're in our final lesson today in this section of our survey of the Old Testament. We've been looking at Israel's kings and prophets from 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. And today is our final lesson. In fact, I've called it uh, the final four and the fall of Judah. And we're not talking about the final four basketball teams that are playing for the NCAA championship. We're talking about the final four kings before the Babylonian uh, destruction of Jerusalem and Judah and the Babylonian captivity. Now, we're going to go through these four kings as well as a discussion concerning the fall and what happened when Judah is finally destroyed. I would encourage you, though, to read the book of Jeremiah and look at his prophecy because you're going to see Jeremiah the prophet is interacting with all of these kings, including King Josiah, and you're going to notice exactly what's going on in Judah and Jerusalem that has caused God to pour out his wrath on the nation. And you're going to see a lot of things there, especially you're going to see the prophets of God warning them that God is going to bring this judgment, that they need to be ready, they need to repent. But you're also going to see, quote, men of God who are going to be deceiving the nation into thinking that everything is okay and to continue on and continue to fight against Babylon, which we're going to see is totally fruitless, totally meaningless and only leads to further destruction. So we're going to focus not on Jeremiah. I would encourage you to read that to see all of those details, but we're going to focus on what the writer of Kings and the chronicler, the writer of Second Chronicles, is going to tell us today. So let's go ahead and start. We're going to start off with Jehoahaz who is the first of the four kings. And we're going to notice that we are going to look in particular at Second uh, Kings chapter 23, verses 31 to 34, and Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 1 to 4. And his reign is actually pretty short. So here's what we're going to see. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king over Judah, and he ruled three months. Now remember, he became king when his father was struck by an arrow and then, I guess, gravely wounded, made his way back to Jerusalem and died from his wounds. That happened when he went out and confronted Pharaoh Necho, who was on his way up to Carchemish, to battle the Babylonians, which the Egyptians lost. So when Josiah died, the people made his son, Jehoahaz, the king. The only problem is, is he's, his reign is only going to last three months. So again, what you're going to notice now, it, it designates here that he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because you might be wondering, okay, it's one thing, George, to look at King Manasseh and say, wow, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, because there's an extensive record of all that he did and how he provoked the Lord. But here's a guy who's only reigning for three months. What in the world did he do? Well, I need you to understand, he maybe didn't necessarily do anything. 
The fact is, is his heart was not seeking God. He was seeking whatever he was on his own. And that is enough to incur God's wrath against him. We have this concept, which I want you to understand, we have this concept that being wrong with God means that you're doing some sort of gross sin. That's not the issue. Being wrong with God is that your heart is not seeking after him. You're just seeking after what you want to do on your own. Well, here we have a guy. He's 23 years old, becomes king over Judah, rules for three months, and he's labeled as doing evil in the sight of the Lord in all that his fathers had done before him. Now, again, we're going to see Pharaoh Necho here because he's actually the power broker that's going on. So I want you to picture in your mind, when we talk about Israel, Judah at this point, we're not talking about an empire, say, under David, where he's got all the way from Syria down to, down to Egypt, and he's got all these vassal nations that are pay, paying tribute to him. Actually, Israel at this point is a vassal nation, who is paying tribute to whoever the superpower is at this time. And one superpower killed their king, and he's the dominant one, and that is Pharaoh Necho. Even though he's only going to be basically the superpower for a short period of time until King Nebuchadnezzar shows up from Babylon. But here's what happens. Okay, so he's made king for three months. It's short-lived. Why? Pharaoh Necho imprisoned Jehoahaz and imposed a tribute of silver and gold on Judah. So, yeah, the people selected Jehoahaz as their king, but Necho is the superpower. He wants a vassal who's going to serve him, and guess what? He chooses somebody of his own liking, and so guess what? He takes away Jehoahaz and imprisons him makes him his prisoner, sets somebody else up. In fact, Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. So Josiah had another son whose name was Eliakim. Necho comes along and says, nope, I don't like Jehoahaz. We're going to remove him. I'm going to make this other son, for whatever political reason, we're going to make him the king, Maybe because he looked like he was going to be supportive of Egypt and, and do what Egypt said, he changes his name to Jehoiakim. And so now this second son of Josiah is the king. So now we've already dealt with one king. We're now into the second king. Now, let's get back to Jehoahaz for a second because we're told that Necho took Jehoahaz to Egypt and he died there. That's all we know. He took him back to Egypt as a prisoner, and he died in Egypt. And the implication is, is it was not well. Not well because he was a prisoner. Now, the writer records that Jehoiakim paid Necho the tribute after taxing the people. So remember, Pharaoh Necho wanted a tribute of gold and silver, more silver than gold, because there would be more silver that's prevalent than gold. But he wanted a tribute. So how is Judah and Jerusalem supposed to get this? Well, Jehoiakim has to tax his people, both uh, poor and, and rich. And according to their statue and what they have, they were to pay something in regards to paying 
this tribute, and I guess he gathered it, and they paid it to Necho. So Jehoiakim, now we're focusing on 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 35 through chapter 24, verse 7, and 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 5 through 8. What you're going to see here is Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king over Judah, and he ruled 11 years. So there's now a rule of 11 years here. Okay, 11 years. Now again, he's also listed as he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. And again, I would refer you to the book of Jeremiah, which will detail what's going on with this guy's heart and where he's at. And you will see that he is not a man whose heart is after the Lord like his father Josiah was. Now, when we talk about these passages in Jehoiakim, we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem and made Jehoiakim his vassal. So Nebuchadnezzar then comes up to Jerusalem probably with his big army, makes it very clear that it's going to be, uh, there's going to be a price to be paid. So obviously Judah then subjugates itself to Nebuchadnezzar and there to now pay a weekly tribute, excuse me, not weekly, a yearly tribute of some manner, so how many often a year they were supposed to, to the Babylonian king. So they become a vassal state, the Babylon. But the problem is, is what we're going to see here in this passage is, is that, however, Jehoiakim rebelled against Babylon. So in the process of becoming a vassal and paying his allegiance or making an oath to the king of Babylon, somewhere along the line, Jehoiakim decides, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to rebel against him. Okay? We're going to rebel against the king. Now, the Lord then sent raiding parties against Judah to destroy it. So the Lord sends these raiding parties, some of them are Chaldean and others, who begin to attack Judah and its outlying cities and villages and so forth and begin to destroy it. This was in accordance with the words spoken through his prophets. And again, going all the way back to the law and the giving of the law through Moses, the lawgiver, there was very much a stipulation that as long as they were following the Lord and seeking after the Lord, they would have blessing and protection. But when they turned their hearts away from the Lord, God would send oppressors against them to punish them. And ultimately, as Moses even warned, they would be brought into exile. And so this is the beginning of that process where these oppressors now are coming according to the word of the Lord and they are coming against Judah and they're seeking to destroy it. And so the writer states that this came at the commandment of the Lord concerning Manasseh's sin. I think that is a powerful point here to make. What do you mean, George? Well, I want you to see that the writer is making the effort for you to understand that what is going on 
with the oppression against Judah and Jerusalem by these raiding parties, the seeking to destroy Judah and Jerusalem, that just didn't happen by chance. God was the one who was in control and at his command. This was happening. And why did he command it? Because of the sin that happened during Manasseh's time. There is a price to be paid for the sin. And here they are, two generations later from Manasseh, and they're now beginning to pay for it. Which God said was going to happen when Josiah read the law that was found in the temple. And he said I was going, he would delay that judgment while Josiah was alive. But now it's happening. It's happening here at the commandment of the Lord. And so what I want you to see now is that Nebuchadnezzar came against Jehoiakim and carried him away as prisoner to Babylon. Now, folks, this is the first of three deportations. What do you mean deportations? Well, what you're going to see is, is as we go through this, there are three times now that Nebuchadnezzar comes and defeats Jerusalem. And with each defeat, he then takes a group from Jerusalem into exile back to Babylon. And in this first group that is taken, we now know from the book of Daniel that Daniel was among those who were taken with his friends to serve in the court and in the kingdom of the Babylonian king. So they would take the best back and remove them from their own land and take them somewhere far away into exile. And that was part of what would happen. And we're going to see that this happens three times now. Three times before and the third time happening when Jerusalem is ultimately destroyed. So we're seeing these deportations happening. Now, it also tells us in this passage that with regards to the temple, Nebuchadnezzar does something as well. So Nebuchadnezzar also carried away some of the articles from the temple. He didn't take all of them, but he took some of them back to the temple of his God. These, he, put the, these articles, he put those articles from the temple into the temple of his God. Now, we're going to see that these items, as well as some other that, others that will be taken later, are going to make an appearance in Daniel chapter 5 when King Belshazzar, which is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, has a feast, and he calls for these vessels to be used and used in praise of the gods of silver and gold before judgment falls on Belshazzar and the fall of the Babylonian kingdom. But here we see the beginnings of this whole thing with Nebuchadnezzar taking some of these items from the temple in Jerusalem and putting them in the temple of his own god later on. Now, the writer and the chronicler list where the details of Jehoiakim's reign are recorded. So, all of the details, basically one writer lists where they're at, the other writer lists where they're at, and so you're told where to find the list of these details from his reign. And so, Jehoiakim died, and his son Jehoiachin 
reigned in his place. So Jehoiakim dies. So obviously in being taken captivity to Babylon, he dies there. But Jehoiachin now becomes king in his place. So now we're up to the third of the final four. And we're up to Jehoiachin. Okay? Jehoiachin. So let's talk about him. But before we do that, let's talk about Pharaoh Necho, who is remembering, wanting to oppose the expansion of the Babylonian Empire. In the portion of scripture concerning Jehoiakim, it makes a statement for us concerning Pharaoh Necho. It said, Pharaoh did not come again because he was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar and lost all to him. What do you mean lost all to him? Well, it says that Nebuchadnezzar came and he basically took Syria and he took Canaan, the area of Israel, all the way down to the River Nile. So he took that all away from the Egyptians and that became a part of the Babylonian Empire. And so he didn't come again out to fight Nebuchadnezzar again. So let's talk about Jehoiachin. We're going to find in 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 8 through 17, we're going to see that the writer of Kings records concerning him, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 9 through 10. Again, a small portion of Scripture, but there's a lot of information here. And again, I would refer you to the book of Jeremiah, where you're going to see some other details that are not listed here, concerning the reign of Jehoiachin. All right, so Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king over Judah. And he ruled three months and 10 days. So he only ruled three months and 10 days. Now Jehoiachin would be the grandson of Josiah. He is the son of Jehoiakim. And he's only going to rule three months and 10 days. He did, again, evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So again, you need to understand his heart is not seeking after God. His heart is not seeking after God. In the eighth year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar came up and besieged Jerusalem. So when you read the passage, you're going to wonder, in the eighth year of his reign, I thought he only ruled for three months. The eighth year is talking about Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So in the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he came up and besieged Jerusalem. Jehoiachin, his mother, and family went out to meet Nebuchadnezzar and became prisoners. So for whatever reason, probably Nebuchadnezzar called them to come out to him. They did. They went out to him, and they became prisoners. They became prisoners. Now, what we're going to see happening now is the second deportation. A second group of exiles are now taken to Babylon, and Jehoiachin and his family are a part of that group of exiles. So this time, Nebuchadnezzar carried all of the treasures from the temple to Babylon. Now, in the first deportation, he only took part of them. 
But the text makes it very clear that this time around, he carried all of the treasures of the temple to Babylon. Now, he still left the temple standing, though. But he's taken away all of the treasures within the temple. He takes those back to Jerusalem. Excuse me, to Babylon. Leaving only the poor, Nebuchadnezzar carried away captives, the craftsmen and the warriors, the mighty men of valor. So he basically took away any kind of craftsman and any type of warrior that might have been there. He took them all away, leaving only the poor to occupy uh, Jerusalem. So basically, he's taking the cream of the crop, the best that's left that hasn't been killed. He's taking them into exile, into Babylon in the second exile. Nebuchadnezzar then made Mataniah king of Judah and changed his name to Zedekiah. Now, Mataniah is the third son of Josiah. Okay, so... Mataniah was Jehoiakim's uncle and the remaining son of Josiah. So this is the third son of Josiah. He's the uncle to the king who was just deposed by Nebuchadnezzar, Jehoiachim. And he now becomes king, but he has his name changed to Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king over Judah, and he ruled 11 years. And these are the final 11 years of Jerusalem before the final destruction. So I need you to recognize that. Again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. And again, you will see the details of that listed in Jeremiah's prophecy. Now, I just want to make a point here. When you read Jeremiah and you look, here they are. They've already had two deportations where people from Jerusalem, Israelites, are taken into captivity. The best of the best are taken into captivity. They've had kings deposed. Kings have now died in captivity. They've had their city defeated twice now, but you're going to find it completely amazing that there's still this message that's being propagated among them that they are believing that God is going to deliver them from Babylon. Even though the prophets of God who truly seek after the God are telling them, no, subjugate yourself to Babylon because God is will judge you if you don't do this. And that's why Jeremiah got in trouble, because he was preaching a message that was different than what the message of these other false prophets were saying. So the leaders and the priests transgressed against the Lord according to the sins of the nations. So at this point, the corruption is so widespread that even the religious leaders, those who are priests serving in the temple, which is dedicated to Yahweh, where his name is, and those who are leaders, elders, leaders within the palace and the kingdom, they're transgressing against the Lord according to the sins of the nations around them, which means they're engaging in idolatry, worshiping the hosts of heaven. 
They defiled the temple and mocked the prophets until God's wrath was aroused. What do you mean mocked the prophets? Well, they mocked them. They sought to kill them. They did not want to hear what they had to say. They were believing a lie. They were believing a lie about God. Actually, if you look at what Jeremiah is saying. And so this happened until God's wrath was completely aroused to destroy them. The chronicler notes that there was no remedy to appease God's wrath for their sins. Now again, I think this is an interesting point. And we see this again in Romans chapter 1. There is a point where God gives them over. And there had come a point where this was happening in Jerusalem and in Judah now. That they had reached the point that there was nothing that could be done to appease God's wrath for their sins. There was no remedy to change it. It was going to happen now. The judgment was coming. There is a point of no return when we sin against our God. You can't just expect him to say, oh, well, I'll look the other way. That's not possible here, and that's not happening here. And Chronicles makes that very clear, that they had reached that point at this time in Judah's history at the end. So let's talk about the fall of Jerusalem and Judah. And we're going to see this in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 to 30, and 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 17 to 21. First thing I want you to notice is that in the ninth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he and the entire Babylonian army lay siege to the city. So the writer is wanting us to understand this time around, this is it, Nebuchadnezzar's had it, he brings his entire army to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was besieged until the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, until the final year of Zedekiah's reign. So this siege takes place until the very end. By the fourth month of the siege, the famine in the city was so severe, there was no food for the people. No food whatsoever. So basically, when you have this siege taking place, they're not allowing any food to enter in. It's based on what they have stored up on the inside in preparation for a siege. But let's be honest, folks. They've had multiple sieges now. This is the third time this is happening. There isn't enough time for them to begin storing up for another long siege. And so they've reached the point where there's no food. The people are starving. The people are starving. There's no food. The wall of the city was breached. That's what happens. Eventually, the opposing army breaches the wall and pours into the city. So the wall of the city was breached, and the soldiers of Judah fled the city with the king. So rather than stand and fight to the death, they take off with the king through another opening and try to escape. That's what the text is telling you here. But the Babylonians had surrounded the city and captured Zedekiah and his men. Futile thing to do. They thought they could run, 
But the fact of the matter is, is the whole area around Jerusalem is filled with Babylonians and they're captured. They brought Zedekiah to Nebuchadnezzar for judgment. So they bring Zedekiah and those leaders who are with him, his sons with them, and they appear before Nebuchadnezzar for judgment. They executed Zedekiah's sons in front of him and then put out his eyes. That's pretty cruel, isn't it? So here you are, you have this guy. They take his sons, they kill his sons in front of him. That in itself would be a grief and a pain to see your own children killed in front of you. And then to make matters worse, it is the last thing you will ever see because when they're done killing your sons in front of you, they then take out your eyes. They blind you for the rest of your life. And here's what its scripture tells us is they bound Zedekiah and took him captive to Babylon. So then they lead him away captive and he is thrown in prison where he spends the rest of his life and dies there in Babylon. Now this doesn't end it because this is the final straw. So you notice what's happened now. Okay? In the first deportation when he took away the best, he only took part of the items from the temple. In the second deportation when he came, of course he again took more people. This time he took all of the treasures from the temple. This third time around, it's kind of like I've had enough of having to keep coming back here and settling this. So here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar burned the temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. So when he comes this time, he burns down Solomon's temple. It's gone. It's wiped out. He takes out the palace that was built in housing the kings all those generations from Solomon on. And it destroys all of the houses, all of the dwelling places within Jerusalem. They're all taken out. But that's not all they do. The Babylonians tore down all the walls surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Basically, they took out all of the defenses. The walls were the defenses of the city. Now, we're going to see that this is the state it remains in for 70 plus years up until the time of Nehemiah when Nehemiah comes and repairs the walls in 52 days. But here, Nebuchadnezzar, he's had it. He's destroyed everything, wiped out every house, destroyed the palace, destroyed the temple. He now has his men tear down the walls surrounding Jerusalem. The chronicler states that the Lord brought the Babylonians to kill the people without mercy. Listen, this is what you're going to see in the prophets. When the prophets make reference to the Babylonians coming, and even when the, there is judgment against the Babylonians, there is a recognition from the prophets that these Babylonians were an instrument in God's hand to punish Jerusalem for their sins. So the chronicler is stating that God brought the Babylonians to kill them without mercy. The Babylonians carried away the remaining inhabitants of Jerusalem to Babylon. 
So they take anybody else that's left, anybody else that's left, they take them to Babylon. Although they are going to leave some people behind. Who's that? They left some of the poor in the land as vine dressers and farmers. Why vine dressers and farmers? Well, because there's still produce from the land to be gotten. There are the vineyards, there are the olive groves, and there are, of course, the wheat fields and the rye fields, all of these things, the barley fields that need to be tended to, because why? All of that would be going to support Babylon. And so they leave the poor to do that. Now, you would say, okay, that's the end of Chronicles and Kings. No, it isn't. Because now what happens is, is there's a little bit more des describing what's going on in the city. And that is this. The Babylonians, they stripped all of the bronze items for the temple and the city. So they just stripped them all. That's the, the pillars, the everything that Solomon had crafted that was bronze. All of that was taken, stripped and carried away, broken up and carried away. That bronze would then be used in the Babylonian Empire. Not only that, he's, it's sort of like he's trying to make sure that this isn't a problem anymore. They executed the high priest. It also will tell you that they executed the second priest. And they executed all of Zedekiah's officials who were still alive. So they're wiping out the leadership, religious and civil leadership in Judah. And Judah was carried away captive to Babylon. What a closing statement. They were carried away captive. The third deportation. And the chronicler notes this. The chronicler notes that they would serve Babylon until the rule of the kings of Persia. So basically they would go into exile and stay there in exile until the rule of the kings of Persia. That is when the Medo-Persian Empire would defeat Babylon. Which again, you would see that in the book of Daniel. You'll see that in the book of Daniel. This was to fulfill the word of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths for seven years. Now if you remember in the law, the law said, you know, there was the Sabbath, which was one day out of the seven was meant to be rest and was not to be done any work. God's word also declared, remember we looked at this a long time ago, that there was one year, the sabbatical year, in which the land was to rest. It was not to be farmed. God would take care of them, but they would have a Sabbath for the land. Well, according to the word of Jeremiah, God said it would be 70 years to fulfill all of the Sabbath that should have taken place from the time that they entered into Canaan. Because listen, folks, they didn't do the sabbatical years until that point, 70 years were fulfilled. Until she's had her 70th Sabbath years. Now, here's what happens. When you take out the leadership, you got to appoint leadership. So guess what? Nebuchadnezzar appointed Delilah as governor over the people remaining in Judah. So he takes a Jew and makes him the governor. Now he's not governor. You'll see if you read in the text where he's killed. If you go to Jeremiah where he is, he's in Mizpah. Remember we've talked about Mizpah before in the history 
of, of Israel. He's in Mizpah, and that's where he is serving as governor. And he becomes governor over the people remaining in Judah. Gedaliah told the remaining captains of the army not to fear Babylon and to dwell safely. So he's encouraging the people not to be afraid of the Babylonians, not to rebel against the Babylonians, but to dwell safely in the land. Just go ahead and dwell safely. It's going to be okay. Well, it isn't okay. However, a small group of men killed the governor and all who were with him in Mizpah. In fact, the text tells you that this small group killed not just the governor, but all of the Chaldeans, all the Babylonians who were there with him, and everyone else who was a part of this guy's government. They killed them all right there in Mizpah. Now, this sets a panic. This caused the people, small and great, to flee to Egypt because they feared the Babylonians. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you go to Jeremiah, there is an account there where Jeremiah is approached by these folks who are left, and he is supposed to go to the Lord and ask the Lord, should they stay in the land and serve Babylon, or should they flee to Egypt because they're afraid of the oncoming onslaught? And when Jeremiah goes and comes back, he brings this message, and he says to them, you already decided before I even went, so God says, if you go to Egypt, you will die there. So guess what? They go to Egypt, and they take Jeremiah with him, with them, and we never hear of Jeremiah anymore after he goes to Egypt. But it causes this killing of the governor and the fear of the Babylonians causes the people to flee to Egypt. Now, it's interesting now because then the text goes back to talking about Jehoiachin. Now remember Jehoiachin, he only ruled for three months and so many days. He went out to meet Nebuchadnezzar. This is at the second deportation. And he's taken as captive back to Babylon. Now, in the 30, 37th year of Jehoiachin's captivity. So this is 37 years as a prisoner in the dungeons of Babylon, okay? So in the 37th year of Jehoiachin's captivity, evil Merodach released him from prison. Now, who is evil Merodach? This is one of the descendants of, of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, probably his son. He releases Jehoiachin from his prison. The Babylonian king spoke kindly to Jehoiachin and gave him a prominent seat at his table. It was a custom in these ancient times that you would have your table and seated at your table were the kings that you had defeated. Kings that you had shown favor to, but they would sit there and they would be attesting to your glory and your power because you defeated them, but you're at least honoring them by having them at your table. And this is what he did. He spoke kindly to Jehoiachin, gave him a prominent seat at the table. Jehoiachin was given a daily ration and ate bread regularly before the Babylonian king. So it's talking about here is the line of David. He is the line of David up to this point being lifted up out of prison and given a place, 
of honor. The final thing we're going to note here is what Chronicles says, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22 and 23. It ends with the decree of Cyrus. So in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord stirred his spirit in order to fulfill his word. So God here, the text is making it very clear, he is stirring the spirit of this Persian king. What word is he to fulfill? Well, take a look. Cyrus made a proclamation throughout his empire with a command from the God of heaven. So he's making a proclamation because he feels he has a command from the God of heaven that needs to be expressed to his kingdom. What is this command? Cyrus states that he has to build a he, he states that he has to build God a house in Jerusalem and the Jews must return to build it. So he states very clearly that when they go back, this decree of Cyrus, that they are to go back and rebuild a temple to God. And folks, this is the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. And from the time of this decree up until the time of Jesus' crucifixion, excuse me, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it has been calculated that that is 69 weeks. 69 weeks of seven years. And so we see the beginning of this with the decree of Cyrus. And that brings us to the end of our studies in 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. Now, folks, when we get together next week, we're going to move on to our next section of narrative books. And so with our next section in the Old Testament, it's going to focus now on after the Babylonian captivity. And so we're going to be looking at the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And those are the next three books that we're going to be looking at, and we're going to be looking at them right here in our Sunday school time. So until then, take care.